Welcome to the 34th episode of the Nerddom and Other Nonsense Anime Podcast. Today, we're going over the fall 2017 season's third week of shows. And since you purchased the season pass for this podcast, we'll throw in the fourth week of shows as a bonus. Almost free. Just with a small microtransaction. Just as a reminder, we also always include timestamps in the description of the YouTube video and in the podcast feed if you wish to just hear about a few of the shows we're talking about because we spoil literally everything. My name is Becom, and I wrote a song about a tortilla, but actually it's a little bit more of a rap. Uh, that was terrible. You know what else is terrible? Black Clover. <laughs> Okay, like I'm just, started, I'm just like, okay, so you you've watched Bleach, correct? Uh, sure, yeah. So some they're of doing it. the whole captain thing with the squads again. Okay, that's nothing new. They, if you did, you watch Fairy Tale? No, uh, no, I haven't seen any of. Fairy okay, Tale. well, anyways, in Fairy Tale, there's this uh person part of their guild. Her name's Kana, and she has like brown shoulder like sort of curly hair and she walks around in a tube top and pants and drinks the entire time well in black clover they have this exact same character except they just took the pants off and she's just in her bra and panties and they changed her hair color pink <laughs> so that was crazy oh, but even it. better yet they added a second character that takes every opportunity to scream their lines <laughs> so there's literal conversations between Asta and this guy and they're just yelling at each other in a common conversation but at least his yelling isn't as bad as Asta because Asta has a yeah at the end and he's just your normal yeller but ridiculous and it's just everything it does I'm like I can either say it was Naruto Bleach or Fairy Tale. oh and then they had another character whose design looks so much like somebody from D. Gray Man the twin ponytail girl <laughs> okay. like if you put them side by side like i i feel like somebody almost copied it <laughs> oh wow well that's bad yeah like the, that show just seemed like it was copying all of the other shonen and not doing like literally anything new yeah, uh, it's not know. doing anything new if you've seen like i said bleach naruto uh fairy tale you but it, it, and because i like those i mean i'm in guess i'm enjoying it except for the voice acting but it's not being original at all but i am also caught up on garo vanishing line oh yeah how's that going pretty good i like it i'm well, that's I'm good still not sure what you're still not sure what's going on but it's not like need to know information so yeah it's just fun to watch like good yeah. animation right have you watched anything else not on our list uh, not recently. Well, hold on. I you, did. I I slightly kept up with all, all <laughs> a little sisters. All you need, but like I'm still pretty far behind on that. Oh, I was watching but, that yeah. earlier today while I was waiting on you to finish up your shows. But it's oh, <laughs> it's just flat out boring sometimes. Yeah, yeah. That and that's that's basically how I felt about like Arrow Manga Sensei. Remember near the end too, yeah. is that it just got boring. Well, I messaged like, you and I'm like, we're literally doing an episode about counting. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn it. And the accountant is a 34-year-old 30, lolly. Oh, terrible. <laughs> it makes sure at the very end of the episode to, to make sure you know she she's 34. Watashi wa 34. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sure that happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. You're well, ready to start that, that's par for the course with those kinds of shows, I guess. Yeah. Dumb. All right. So should we get into the shows that we're actually watching? Go for it. So, uh, up first on Sundays, we've got Anime Guitaris, uh, and we've got episode three starting off, which was called Erica, 
cosplayer ex-cosplayer. Uh, so yeah, they found their six members in the first two episodes, and but the student council is like still standing in their way. The student council is definitely like the evil force in this anime who are trying to like block them from forming their club. Uh, and they're all kind of depressed because like the student council is basically like you can't form an anime club even though they have all the members. And so they go to Akihabara to just like blow off steam and have fun. Uh, and, and so we sort of learn a little bit more about the characters this way, like Erica, who's one of the girls in the group. And I guess she's the uh, the club uh, president because she's a senior. Yep. Um, they go to a cosplay shop with her and she's really into cosplaying. And like she shows off like this dub tone, quote unquote, outfit, which is like a Love Live uh, cosplay. Mm-hmm. And just she completely like transforms her voice and starts posing and all this stuff. And um I also liked there was like a one liner about how Manoa should cosplay Nakamushi Saddle, which is like a good pun on Yoamushi Pedal. Uh, and like after that, they hit up another shop called Anime Soul, which is very much similar to the Animate uh, chain of stores that's located all over uh, Tokyo and stuff. And there's definitely one in Akihabara and has like eight floors of different merchandise and stuff. Uh, and they definitely showed that. Uh, I laughed really hard because there was like on one of the floors they had this like light novel banner that just had like a title that was a certain report on the irresponsible and depressing chronicles of me and a certain eccentric childhood friend. I laughed too. (laughs) (laughs) I was just just like like, I love parodies of shitty light novel titles. I'll never not laugh. This whole show just has a lot of fun with doing that shit. Yeah, 100%. Um, And so they leave Akiba and Erica's wondering, oh, well, like, by the way, when they're in the anime or the anime soul store, that's when um, Kai or Kai Kai, as they like to nickname him, like talks about a little bit how he's like really into um, like dark fantasy, like battle anime or whatever. And so that's he's trying to like show them why he likes it so much. He's like looking at a poster of this cute girl and like Mano- he gets embarrassed because like Manoa comes up behind him and he's like, no, I like her like for her character or something like, I don't know. It was really it was funny um but yeah they leave akiba and erica wonders like if they should just continue the anime club informally outside of school (laughs) but erisu erisu and miko are really opposed to the idea because their favorite slice of life anime had everybody talking to each other in a club room uh so this leads kai uh to talk about how uh, the show got dropped by a lot of people after the third episode because it was too boring. And then a whole conversation about what the third episode rule is in anime. And they have like all these references to like Madoka and Love Live because they're like, yeah, like the show can change completely after the third episode like it did in Madoka. And they show like a little brief scene of like fake Madoka. And then like in Love Live, they're like, yeah, like the whole group comes together and they perform their big concert, but nobody shows up. And that's a total Love Live thing. So that was really cute. It's so uh, awesome that they talked about the three episode rule in the third episode. <laughs> yeah, it confirms that Japan knows. Japan knows that there's a three this episode a rule. <laughs> um, they're very aware of that. So, yep. yeah, you will see things in third episodes very often. So uh, when they get back to school, they find that the student council has now decided to put the abolishment of the anime club to a like a resolution uh, and the older students basically expected this erica and kai but manoa doesn't want their dream to end and so she gives this like speech and it's totally like straight out of love live this you would hear this type of speech uh like we have to like come together and like you know save our club kind of thing um and so like they're like oh well somebody should actually give like a real speech to like 
the audience at this like resolution and they're like, you should do it, Manoa. And so she gets pushed into doing it. But she gets really nervous and Arusu wrote the, the script for this speech and it's pulled straight from anime and it doesn't have the same effect on real people as you would expect. <laughs> so like it they just end up like falling it, it ends up falling flat and the student council presence argument is that like the anime club is basically worthless because anime itself is full of empty and worthless stories which i can't disagree with completely no. mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh kai or kai kai he takes off his glasses in which unleashes his secret power and he takes the microphone and he talk. he defends anime and tells everybody how much he loves like secret power battle shows and how you learn about justice and friendship and perseverance from watching and discussing them. And that wins about half of the male vote in the audience. And then when he finishes speaking, he falls into a uh, Koki, the big, like the tall blonde kids arms and the girl, like half of the girls in the audience, like the Fujoshi girls all swoon. So that, that gets them <laughs> enough of the vote that they can win and, and they can win the resolution and the student council council goes home angry so that was the third episode it was really fantastic i liked it a lot yeah like a and i said in my notes i love that they talked about three episode rule and then they followed through with it on themselves yeah exactly that's that's fantastic (laughs) so yeah uh i'm watching episode four i I really like the title for this episode club room go boom uh (laughs) is a nice title I gotta say, I just, I, I don't know why I noticed it particularly on this episode, but I really love the OP for this show. It just makes me start dancing every time. It is really good. Yeah. This one, I, there's three for me that stand out. It's Anime Guitarist. Yeah. It's uh, MMO Junkie is probably my favorite one. Oh, the guitar st- part is nice in that. Oh, yeah. it's stuck in my head all week and I don't care. It's fine. I'm fine with that. And then uh, <laughs> the uh, Girls Last Tour. Yeah, I like that OP too. I actually really like the ED for that show. As they're singing together, and I don't know what they're saying, but I'm like, I like this. (laughs) And then they dab in the middle of it. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Do they dab? I'm not. They do dab. There's like a brief frame of them dabbing. It's fantastic. Oh, yep. Now I think about it, I think I I think I know that scene. So, um, yeah, in this fourth episode, uh, like there's a Numazon, which is Amazon delivery man who arrives at the club room and he has like just a tower of boxes. And Manoa's like, what the hell is going on? And when she opens them all up, it's like this huge Jenga tower of just Blu-rays, anime Blu-rays that Erusu purchased for the club. Uh, And like they like some of them like start pulling their like favorite blu-rays out of this tower and then it starts like falling over it's <laughs> kind of funny but uh the club members explain to Manoa how anime actually makes money like they start breaking down like anime production committees and then they even compare anime production committees to like a powerful shadow organization like nerve from evangelion uh and you see like a little shot of that um because like the anime production committee is the one who like makes all the decisions about like what to make and like how to sell the anime all the how to merchandise it and all that stuff so anyway the student council is still trying to take them uh down by the way and barges in and they say like look at this receipt and apparently eris who spent 341,951 yen on anime blu-rays which is a bit over three thousand dollars us right now and to be honest, I was looking at this like tower of Blu-rays that she got for $3,000 and I was like, you probably found some pretty good deals because like I don't have nearly that many Blu-rays and 
Like some of them are pretty friggin' expensive. Like especially in Japan, I was gonna say Blu-ray prices are insane. Japanese version, yeah. Like, and the thing is, what they pay, what we pay for the entire season, they pay for like two or three episodes. Exactly, it's, it's crazy. crazy. Like, yeah. they get really nice quality Blu-rays. Like the Japanese Blu-rays usually have like typically very high bit rate because there's less episodes on a disc, so you get like very high like visual and audio quality on Japanese Blu-rays. But they're so expensive, it's insane. So I was like. Good for you, Arisu, but the student council was not having it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, the student council president orders them to help other school clubs out for the next week. And if their work isn't satisfactory, they'll be abolished again. So the club president, Erica, like steps in, leads the way. And they, we see a variety of scenes of them helping out other clubs. I, she goes to help Failing the baseball miserably. club. Yeah, well, they fail, but, like, I love the part where she's, like, pitching for the baseball club, and she's got this really cute uniform, and she has really nice pitching form, let me tell you. Like, her delivery is, mm, it's very nice. And that's, that's said as a former pitcher. Like, I'm not, I'm not even joking. It looks good. <laughs> but uh, the outcome of her pitching was not fantastic, because as nice as her delivery was, it didn't have enough velocity and she got crushed. So yeah, they screw up helping the baseball club and then a whole bunch of other clubs. Um, but luckily they find out that the drama club needs costumes for a performance uh, for new students. And this is where Erica might be able to help out because you know she loves cosplay and she lo- loves making costumes. So uh, they decide like, okay, Erica, you should make costumes and then that's the way we can help a club out. Um, but she has some like trouble with this in the beginning and she runs off and she has a flashback to when she was younger and she went to a foreign school and was having a lot of trouble making friends there. But she like met two girls who spotted like she had a sticker on her bag that was for a show called Prefe, which is basically Precure. Uh, and she made friends with these girls because they loved cosplaying too, apparently, even though they're in, from a foreign country. And that I gave think it was America like, specifically. Yeah, I think it seemed like America, like for sure. So that totally um, makes sense. There is a cosplay scene. Uh huh. And like that gave her the determination she needed to realize is she can create something new, unlike what the student council president said. And then Koki also tells Erica to take inspiration from his favorite idol anime, Dubtone, which is basically Love Live. And so they watched some of the Dubtone Blu-ray, and I was just dying. Uh, it perfectly captures, like, the over-the-top optimism of idol anime, because, like, in this episode of this fake anime, the three idol girls are like, we need to make costumes, and they, they go and take axes and just start chopping down trees. <laughs> and so they chop down trees, and then magically, after they chop down the trees, they now have new beautiful costumes and that is exactly how idol anime like love life work (laughs) they do something really stupid and then it all works out and yeah so after that everyone starts working together just like in an idol anime and erisu even turns down sebastian's help when she she like pricks herself with a sewing needle and she's like no i need to make this costume with my own hands uh, and in the end, the drama club shows off these gorgeous costumes that they made just in time and they get a huge reception from the audience and the student council still say the anime club hasn't done enough, but that's where Erica steps in and reminds the president Subaki, that's her name, and that they were brought together by anime initially too. And then Subaki has like a flashback. They used to pretend that they were characters from Prefe or Precure as little girls. And that's why they originally became friends. Um, and like so Subaki kind of 
melts a little bit at that but she's like you know we're we're just different people now but she says like because of the overwhelming reception though it's clear you've won this round and we're not gonna abolish the club um and then at the end of the episode Tsubaki makes like a mysterious phone call to some unknown person saying that I was unable to shut down the anime club and so there's like some greater plan to shut down this club for some reason that we don't know about yet and yeah oh there was also yeah you mentioned a good reference this episode made. Oh yeah, they the show just loves the reference Konosuba, and I cracked up because I think it was uh, what's her name M, girl I like. Oh Aqua, not Aqua. Oh wait, oh mean in this show, but yeah. it was somebody pretending to be Aqua throwing up. Like. Oh, the, well, she says, "I can finally watch the useless goddess barf scenes over and over." And just yeah, Ar- a- I think it was Arisu saying that maybe, or no, maybe it was Mocha. I can't remember. I, can't I think remember it was Mocha. That's the blue haired girl. Right. Yeah, with like the glasses. Yeah, yep. yeah. It was her. For sure. Yeah, I just continue to really enjoy this anime. It's such a good parody, uh, as well as being just really fun at the same time. And I just love all the references. Like it's it's a good referential humor show, which is nice to see. I haven't seen one of those for a little while. Talks so much about everything encompassing anime in general. Cause like this is actually like almost this is week eight we're finally doing weeks three and four so <laughs> yeah we're we're a little late we're a little late but it's okay yeah yeah <laughs> uh that's all i got for that one you want to move on to uh juni tyson yeah so i think i'm starting off with this yep. one i have episode three which is uh cutting a chicken with a beef cleaver which might be a bit of a spoiler <laughs> once you've watched the episode. Yeah. But uh, yeah, in this one, we learn the backstory of the chicken warrior whose name is Niwa Tori. Uh, and her backstory is basically that she went through an extremely traumatic event as a child where she killed and mutilated her own parents who had abused her. Uh, and afterwards, she was being monitored in the hospital, but had severe amnesia because of it. And because of that she apparently developed the ability to communicate with birds and she can both send and receive information from them so like yeah. she can get everybody like, gets a uh, special ability yeah and this one's pretty cool though like it's pretty awesome ability mm-hmm. so she's then adopted by this older woman into this family the niwa family and they train her as a warrior and like they make use of her abilities basically um they're this family that's like involved in various conflicts all over the world, presumably for profit, like behind the scenes. Uh, and she, so basically, yeah, she can essentially use birds as like drones in drone warfare, uh, which is as hilarious as it sounds. Like she'll have birds like scope out areas for her, basically like Bayek in the new Assassin's Creed Origins game, who has like a bird that can like scope and like mark targets. But then she'll have the birds like carry around grenades in their beaks and just drop them on targets she's found. It's so ridiculous. I was laughing so hard. It was great. I loved it. Um, there's this middle section of the episode that shows her uh, double crossing some people to get her hands on some valuable information. Uh, but that that section of the episode honestly didn't do very much for me. It just showed like she's like a little bit more of like a conniving character when she needs to be. Yeah, she's got to um, use her brains. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would say like at certain points of this episode, you could tell that like it's suffering from quality issues because like there's some parts where the characters are very roughly drawn part of it's the character designs though because like like the characters have kind of roughly drawn lines um but like yeah there's just sometimes like things don't look good but then there's other times when it looks fantastic like um 
there's like that one scene where Nirotori comes across the zombie version of Boar, who like the rabbit guy made into a zombie. Yeah. And attacks Boar with her killing by pecking attack, where she like summons like hundreds of birds that swarm around Boar and just peck her to death. And like Boar resists by like she has these dual heavy machine guns and one in each arm and she's just like spinning around firing at like this crowd of birds or this flight of birds or whatever and like it just looks awesome like that that yep. scene was so awesome looking I was just I was going crazy because like <laughs> I love that this anime can reach those heights it's yeah. cool uh, what what keeps me constantly watching this show is just the concept of it I really like it I I gotta see who wins in the end yeah that's they true really too. have to mess something up like really really bad for me to drop it i agree yeah like i'm, I'm pretty much hooked at this point yep um and like so yeah the crux of the episode comes when nuatory runs into the rat warrior at a convenience store and he's like really chill and laid back and tells nuatory hey come with me uh because you raised your hand at that initial meeting when monkey asked if uh, people wanted to team up and not fight and so they, they head back to the hiding place in the sewers and the tension is pretty high because Neotori is on her guard and is also cons- constantly considering like whether she should just kill both of them right now. But the monkey just seems genuinely interested in forming a partnership and Neotori just can't bring herself to kill her. Um, Neotori later thinks to herself that maybe the one man army poison buff which she got from the dog before killing him not only raised her power level but maybe also raised her mental state to one where her brain is now hardwired to want to protect monkey because she's not a threat i don't know that's that's possible but like neurotory basically turns monkey down and leaves um because she just feels uncomfortable and on her way out basically runs into the ox warrior and Niwatori's instincts tell her to run away, but she stands her ground against kind of her subconscious will, because when he asks if Monkey is near, she feels very protective. And he like reads her body language like a book. The ox guy knows how to read you uh, and knows like, oh, are you protecting Monkey? That must mean she's nearby and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but then like, yeah, they have like a very brief like conflict, like combat where yeah, he takes her out with yeah. one one shot. Yeah, just one blow. Like she thinks she's thinking like to herself, like, oh, if I do this and if I hold myself this way and then he just like lunges at her and like cuts through her with one blow. He sticks the uh, oh, you get the nice viewpoint of his sword going right between her eyes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. And so, yeah, she's killed like instantly, instantly. And his catchphrase is killing systematically. Yeah. Uh, I thought that her one man army buff would like give her a shot. Like I thought there'd be a little bit more of a fight, but apparently this guy's just too good. Yeah, uh, and I guess so, she yeah. didn't even use it. But oh, oh, or sorry, she said the birds weren't hungry yet, so she couldn't use it. Right, but, she couldn't use them again but, yet. But then twenty seconds later, when she's dead, she uses <laughs> it to. Uh, she's like, oh well, there must be hungry now to uh, dismantle herself, which is a good idea because otherwise she'd probably end up as a zombie. Also, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I'll give you birdies one last meal. <laughs> and they, yeah, they come and just peck, it, peck away at her until she's gone, which and is crazy. Basically just dismantle her. Uh, you got anything else for episode three? No, nah, let's go to four. All right. Episode four, the enemy, a noble primate. This is a very uh, quick synopsis because there's not much to talk about. Uh, turns out monkey was trained by three other monkeys. And <laughs> we learned that rat thinks the world is just full of garbage people. There's also a scene where Monkey does negotiations for like two countries at war. Uh, 
But then like she went behind those leaders backs and convinced both the armies to basically agree to a ceasefire because they were tired of fighting and stuff. But then it turns out the peace wasn't what she wanted. Uh, the boar, because you just quick scene of like the boar in the background just walking by had something yeah. to do with the rise of like a third faction taking over it all. And so like the monkeys, <laughs> I kind of laughed at this because like it upsets her and she's at home. And so her coping mechanism apparently is to knead dough and cry into it. <laughs> hey, whatever works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever works. Uh, and also, it turns out she has a husband back home, so that's really cool. I, I was very surprised by this because, like, when you watch anime and you have like a bunch of like fighters and stuff, like typically they don't have like a husband or wife back home waiting for them. Like, especially the girls, like usually they're just waifus, and like you wouldn't just you wouldn't <laughs> if you're creating a waifu, you don't write them with a husband back home. <laughs> like, right, right. that's not the point of a waifu. So, like, I liked that that monkey has like something that she's like trying to get back to. Uh, and something she cares about that that makes her a little bit deeper character for me so the show then basically wraps up with monkey and rat being forced from the sewers when a giant flock of undead birds forces them out wonder who's behind that so mm-hmm. as soon as they get out it's rabbits waiting for them and along with a snake's dead body and then they start to engage in a battle and then that's where we stop that's yeah it. this felt like a very long setup episode for the next mm. episode. It was just a long setup episode for Monkey. A huge portion of it was just talking about those countries, which really didn't have much to do with what's going on now. It was just more backstory for Monkey, really. Yeah, and even more so in this episode, I just noticed like the sort of like consistent inconsistency of the art style at times. Mm-hmm. Just like some stuff just looks really sketch and then other stuff looks really good. And it's just, eh, there's just needs to be like more quality control or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, otherwise I'm still enjoying the show. I can't wait to see where it goes. Who's the studio? Grafenica. Yeah. Who haven't done much. Like they've mm-hmm. done co-productions of stuff. Yeah. So this is like their first big show, I would say. Hmm. So yeah. Yeah. You do some just because, because we can. Because, because. <laughs> All right. Uh, so episode three of Just Because is called Andante. It, this actually d- didn't have like an episode title listed on like Amazon Strike, but at the very end of the episode, they have like a word usually. And so I think this one was called Andante. That's my uh, guess anyway. Interesting. So uh, I love the opening scene of this episode where uh, Aina, the photography girl, is thinking about Eita and then spots him walking down the sidewalk and basically like accosts him and tells him like stay right there and then she like I need to, I need to go home and get a photo that I took of you and like I need you to approve it yeah, and then it like starts before, raining I really only find the show interesting when she's on screen she's probably my favorite character right now too yeah like it's funny because like by she so she gets on her bike and rides home and by the time she gets home it's, start, it's like been raining she gets off her bike and he's she's like oh, I probably should have asked for his phone number or something. Because, <laughs> of course, he's not going to stay there and wait for her in the rain to bring this photo back. Uh, and then, yeah, the show continues on, like, a brisk pace from there with, like, the episode focusing on giving us information about what each of the pl- characters oh. is planning to do after Real high quick. school. Yeah. She's riding her scooter through the rain. Do you know how much that freaking hurts? <laughs> no. It's Well, if you're going fast, I guess, yeah. It, it, once you break 20 miles per hour, which I'm sure that little scooter can, it really starts to hurt. And like, I'm sure most people have stuck their hand out of like a window, you know, yeah. when it's raining in a car. Okay. 
you probably have exposed arms and it's hitting you in the face. <laughs> uh, yeah, that the, would hurt. It's yeah. the face that really gets you. <laughs> <laughs> just from being on a motorcycle. It's usually you just come to a stop unless you're wearing full, unless you're fully geared and then it's not a problem. But yeah, you'd have to have like a full face mask and stuff and a jacket and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be kind of cool to drive. Man, I kind of want to drive a motorcycle through the rain, though. That, that feels like it would be really cool. <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of cool, but you get soaked instantaneously, yeah. and it's it's pretty dangerous to ride it in the rain. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, the tires are slicks for the most part, so yeah. they don't do very well. <laughs> personal experience (laughs) all right let's talk about the show (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um like as was my experience in high school like most of these people even though they're already a a senior like still only really have a vague idea of what they want to do like some of them want to go to college but aren't really sure what for and then like some plan to work for their family business eventually like uh I think that was Mio or Hazuki, I forget and Haruto says I'll do something cool like build an artificial satellite and then like eight eight is like oh that sounds really good and hard is like yeah but i don't know how to build one yet <laughs> so yeah they're all just like st- still figuring things out the other subplot of this episode is haruto is still trying to get closer to hazaki and there's a lot of low-key hilarious visual humor in this episode like haruto is like riding his bike across this hilly town to try and meet up with her so they keep intercutting like scenes of him just like dying as he's going up hills and stuff <laughs> Uh, and like going by various other people in the cast uh, and then his fear of dogs also comes into play there are a lot of gags with that and like yeah it's just constant humor from Haruto's side also Eita is constantly being stalked by Aina who is determined to get his permission to use that picture that she took of him and uh, Haruto playing baseball and she's going to use it and enter it in this uh, photo competition But in the end, she promises to help him out with some of the relationship stuff he and Haruto are trying to go through as long as like he'll give the permission to use the photo. And so he gives Aina his line idea after a line ID, sorry, after a lot of begging. And I love that scene in particular because at first you just see Eita walking up the sidewalk and he's on the phone. And then there's there's this just random person walking their dog, but this dog is like the cutest dog. And like it starts walking after him and has this like, it's like a little like Shiba Inu or something. I don't know what it's actually called. And then like it's marching with these little high paws. It's just really funny if you go look at it. And then you cut back to Haruto, or sorry, Eita, looking at him from the front. And he turns to his right to reveal that Aina is like standing right behind him. It was like a scene out of a horror movie because she's been stalking him the whole episode. Yeah. And that's where he finally gives up. Uh, just good direction there. And yeah, in the end, we've basically got like a few different romantic plot lines going on here with uh, Haruta wanting to be with Hazuki, but her not really wanting to be with anyone for some reason. And then Eita reconciling his feelings for Mio, who he used to have a huge crush on. And then with Aina kind of going after him hard in a non-romantic way, at least so far. And then Yoriko, Hazuki's friend, likes someone but isn't letting on who that is. So yeah, this this has gamers potential in terms of relationships. But uh, no miscommunications going on yet that we know about. Uh, so oh yeah, you're right. There isn't. Yeah. Uh, there was one scene in particular. It was up first two episodes. I didn't really find it entertaining. There was finally the one scene in this episode that I started laughing my ass off when. Uh, oh yeah. Camera girl went back to the room, to the club room, and the two guys <laughs> they we 
they ended up getting caught in a conversation where they were comparing photos they had taken and they got on the subject of camera girl. So they kept bringing up this picture and this picture and they're like, oh, well, look at this one and look at this one and look at this one. Well, she walks into the club room and they immediately <laughs> panic and like hunch over the keyboards and turn them sideways and hide it and they're like trying to close out all the uh, windows they have open with pictures of her. <laughs> Cracking me up. I was like, that's so cool. That's such a legit thing too. Yeah, I think they both clearly kind of like worship her a little bit as yeah. like their club leader too. So yeah, that was a really good scene. I liked that. That was hilarious. But about then that. there was also I also messaged you this because I'd finished the third episode and I messaged you and I said I just don't get the appeal of the show. Yeah. To me, these kids live the most boring lives ever. <laughs> How are, are people finding this entertaining? I, I'm asking this honestly because I'm just like I wouldn't. I definitely would never made it. To episode two after watching episode one yeah i think like sometimes i just like to watch shows that are about like mundane everyday life where i can like identify with the people uh in the show like and not just like in the sukigakure way where like oh i, I remember doing that but like mm-hmm. Just like these are conversations that I would have had with my friends or like I remember friends acting stupidly like this photography girl or like stalking guys to like get them to do something or like I remember all this stuff. So it's it's kind of just like cute and comfortable and relaxing to me, kind of in the way that maybe Girls Last Tour is like cute and comfortable and relaxing for you. Uh, But that one has a little bit more mystery to it. Um, the mystery in this show is kind of figuring out like, how are these romantic relationships going to play out? And like, and what is like, for what reason is Hazuki acting the way that she is like kind of distant from everybody else. And that comes into play in the next episode. I can get into that. Um, yeah. Episode four is called full swing. And so Haruto's bad luck with dogs continues immediately this episode as Mio's dog just chases him around a park until he just like gives up and face plants on the ground. Uh, but he bounces back pretty fast and decides he's going to go ask Hazaki out at the shrine visit coming up for uh, New Year's. And by the way, there's a hilarious reaction shot of this dog's face when he says that. <laughs> the dog's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's just yeah. really funny. There, there's also the uh, camera girl brought her cat. And like, oh, this, yeah, this is the most chill cat I've ever seen in a <laughs> uh, cat carrier in my life. Yeah, this cat is very used to be carrying around in that cat carrier, I Both think. Both my cats it's... lose their fucking minds if you try to put them inside a cat carrier. Well, yeah, if it's like you're putting them in a little box, like, of course. You would think I was torturing them if you were like, if there was like a wall between us. <laughs> they are, it's terrible. Yeah, cats, cats, some cats can handle it, some cats can't, you know. Um, so yeah, if Japanese romance anime have told me anything lately, it's that when you were in middle school, I am not faulting the show for this. <laughs> you better lend your eraser to a girl because that is planting a seed and you don't even have to do anything for the rest of your life. You are in you. You will be married in like five years. You just got to give your eraser to a middle school girl and then they will love you forever. That's well, what, what Japanese did, anime told me. He picked up her eraser. <laughs> yeah. He picked up her eraser and she fell for him. And I was just like, come <laughs> on. This is super tropey. <laughs> I was thinking about this and I remembered back to one time in high school. I think it was like in 10th grade and I was taking a test and a girl next to me didn't have a pencil and I gave her my pencil and like this girl had never been nice to me before and then was super nice to me for like the next like few weeks <laughs> so <laughs> I can say with like some certainty that this is a real thing that does work so I don't know 
yeah, advice I mean, for my children one day. It's written into all these shows is because like the writers had a, actually experienced this at some point when they were probably in school. yeah something like it anyway yeah yeah. So yeah, uh, be, yeah, that was a flashback where um, who was it? That was Mio. Hold on, it's the girl. Yeah, it was Hazuki, right? Thinking about Haruto. Mm-hmm. No, it was Mio. Thinking, about, God, I'm so confused between the different <laughs> girls because they kind of look similar. Mm. It was whoever thinking about Haruto that has a crush on them now in the future s- still. So I think it was Mio uh, okay. who was thinking about that. Because, uh, like, yeah, there's this painful moment for Mio in this episode where she openly talks with Haruto about how he's going to confess to Hazaki. And she reluctantly encourages him, which I think was nicely represented by both her not being able to hold her fake smile. And then also the dog just like knowing that she's upset and is putting on a fake smile, which is kind of cute. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been really growing to enjoy the dynamic between Aina and Ata, which has moved on from being stalker and prey to like they're just basically perfect for each other, in my opinion, because Aina pulls him out of his shell but yep. and he like refuses to admit it especially because he has his heart set on Mio for the moment but i really liked her line of like don't come crying to me if you lose before ever taking the mound which is what she's saying to him about uh going after Mio like she's just saying like hey you need to go give this a shot or else you're just going to regret it and don't come crying to me if you don't even try so yeah haruto and hazaki they go to the new year's eve shrine and everybody else intentionally ditches them uh to give them some time alone and meanwhile eita and mio uh meet up and we meet mio's older sister mina who is like the perfect wingman older sister like she just comes in and she's like oh yeah you've gotten i'm like you told me like you're wait no what did she say like she's like hi Ata, I haven't seen you for a long time and Ata's like oh yeah hi Mina and she's like you're not going to say anything don't I look different uh, like, t- and he's like yeah I guess you do and he's, she's like no tell me I look cute and he's like yeah I guess you're cuter now and he's like then she's like oh but doesn't my sister Mia look really cute and then he just like blushes like crazy so like perfect older sister screwing with you style flirting uh, but yeah. anyway she she walks off and uh, Haruto is working off the, up the courage to tell Hazaki how he feels and drags her off to a secluded area. And I like the line, like one of Mio's friends passes by and says, like, ah, I hate that quiet girl talking about Hazaki uh, when she sees like Haruto getting pulled off uh, or pulling her off. And it gives us this sense that like, which I think we already kind of knew that Hazaki is a flawed character in some way. And I think we're going to find out more about that going forward. Um and then, yeah, there's the end of this episode nicely cuts between two simultaneous scenes. One is with Eita asking Mio if she's really okay with Haruto going out with someone else and telling her to stop lying to herself and just do something about it. And Haruto is finally confessing to Hazaki. And the whole scene, both of them have like a very somber tone. So you know that it might not work out. And in the end, Eita tells Mio that she needs to stop lying to herself and she's like, stay out of it. And he's like, no, you need to stop using your entrance exams as an excuse. Um, And like, so, but he tells her he's cared about her since middle school and it like, it is his business. He's kind of involved and she kind of like is taken aback by that and doesn't know what to think. And then meanwhile, Hazaki tells Haruto, Haruto that she can't go out with him, specifically using the word can't. And... The two guys after this head home very defeated. And that's where that episode ends. Kind of a sad ending. But I'm sure we'll find out more about the reasoning as we go forward. Yeah, just 
I have a note here. I don't remember what happened. I'm like five episodes ahead already. But uh, yeah. I said Morikawa was basically leading Soma on in that last scene. So Yeah. Probably. And also, uh, this, show, this episode was slightly better. I thought the show was a little bit better. Uh, it, all of the confusing of who likes who and being timid and confessing makes it seem more real with me. Mm-hmm. Which was my biggest problem with Sukiga Kiri. Uh I just thought the relationships were just completely unbelievable and not real at all. So, yeah, I got the sense that. that Hazuki definitely was kind of leading Haruto on a bit, but I also got the sense that she was like hoping that he would not confess to her at the same time because I think she knew she was going to say no. Mm-hmm. And so she was kind of like stringing things out, trying to talk about other things, like hoping that he would not have the courage to ask i guess i don't know it was it was a weird dynamic and that's why i'm curious to find out what her deal is as we go forward so yeah okay but anyway how about another uh, romantic comedy <laughs> in you yashiki the last hero hero the least romantic comedy <laughs> anime but uh episode three now yuki ando we get a nice opening of a reminder of all the people Hero killed last episode, and then Hero is pretty shaken up when Ichiro stands up for being shot, and then he flies off. Hero goes back to his friend Ando's place the next day and reads some manga with him. Uh, Ando gets a paper cup and paper cut, and Hero heals it, which is crazy. Also, saying he could probably heal even more dangerous diseases like cancer if he wanted to in the process. Ichiro is on his way home from work when a group of thugs cuts in line for a taxi. A business worker says something to them and they end up dragging him off to a back alley. Ichiro shows up pretty coolly telling the guy to run the safety and he will handle the thugs from here. The thugs in typical attack one at a time fashion go after Ichiro, which I've never understood. <laughs> yeah. He still fights like he's some old man just basically flinging his arms around. But every time he connects, of course, with a thug, it just like butchers him. He one punches him, basically. I liked that he sucked at fighting because that makes sense. He's never really been a fighter in his life. Yeah, but so. then being a robot, even if he makes a graze, it just like, you know, wrecks the other guys. So that's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> so he saves the guy and whatnot. And Ichiro is still on his way home. Here's a family freaking out about their house on fire and grandma still being trapped inside. Uh, the problem is that the house is far away and he won't be able to reach it in time. He figures if hero can fly so can he he eventually figures it out by seeing the astro boy song <laughs> That's yeah like the, that was so get, weird get and funny <laughs> and just like fighting of course he is absolute shit at flying at first like the first thing he does is take off and then just crash straight back down <laughs> uh but he does eventually get to the burning house and dude did you notice the scene like when he lands i laugh my ass off because he just crashes it's like yeah. almost at the side of the screen dude i that had to be for comic relief. Please. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's just so hilarious how they do it. It's just you're just watching the burning house, and then just his body just goes and <laughs> like right around. on the street. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, he just walks past the crying kids in the burning house and pulls out the dad first. He then goes back in and gets the grandma, and he's like, "Ask them, hey, please don't tell the police or anybody that I was here." And then he goes on his way. <laughs> not, not like there's so many bystanders who saw him. <laughs> like, of course they're gonna tell him. <laughs> uh, so, back to Hero, who goes to Ando's first thing in the morning and pesters him until he finally gets up and goes to school. He does convince him by finally saying he will protect him. You know, if he goes back to school. As soon as the word is out that Ando's at school, a group of guys immediately start picking on him. Hero steps in and tells him to go play with themselves. The ringleader tries to bring Hero with them, but he grabs 
But Hero grabs his wrist and squeezes him into submission. Like, they, he starts crying by the end. It's pretty awesome. The ringleader goes to his knees, and Hero makes him apologize and say other things like they're ass maggots and stuff like that. Also, the rest of the class has been watching this entire scene. So that's kind of neat. And the ringleader says all these things while crying and like sobbing. And like he, when it's done over, he like walks out of the classroom holding his wrist. He's like, I think it's broken. But, and he, like one of the other guys in the gang's like, you better meet us on the rooftop after school. So after the school, the two decide to go up to the rooftop and see if the bullies are there. They're not. And on the camp, but they're instead on the campus talking to some girls. Hero gives Ando some binoculars and then just flat out shoots all the bullies with his finger gun. Uh, Hero gives us a quick info dump here. He can see up to a kilometer away. His finger gun can hit up to 10 kilometers away. Um, he can also tap into all internet messaging, police radios, and security cameras around the world. He can also send a nuclear missile from America to China without breaking a sweat. He can also give himself unlimited money by nip- manipulating an ATM. So I want pretty, that ability. <laughs> they're, he's So him and uh, the, the other guy, Ichiro, are pretty much all powerful. Yeah. Uh, but Ando is deeply disturbed by all this and tells Hiro he can't be friends with someone who can kill people so easily. Hiro just finally says, all right, and then leaves him alone. But so he also he tells tra- him, like, just keep going to school. Like, he's so yeah. concerned about Choka going to school. It's just very interesting to me. Well, he's know. only concerned about his close family and friends. Everybody yeah. else can just go die, basically. basically. Yeah. So Ichiro is walking home when he passes a mother cat and her kitten, uh, Behind him, the mother cat gets hit by a car and Ichiro rushes over. Then his vision goes all x-ray and he finds out he can heal things. And he heals the cat and they get up and walk away. He then goes to the hospital to try out his new powers. The final scene is Hiro walking into another random house and killing everybody in it. Uh, They didn't animate this one, so I hope you're okay with it, Become. Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't like... I mean, especially once you've seen like what they did in that previous scene, this is like nothing compared to it. But yeah, it just shows like this continued pattern of like nihilistic just murder that he well, does the best thing they did by not showing it leaves it up to our imaginations and we know the worst he can do so yeah. our imaginations just immediately make it absolutely horrible whatever he did in there yeah because it's all audio like you hear the people yelling and screaming and then one by mm-hmm. one their voices are like snuffed out and, and in, in the end you hear like the child like crying and then that goes away too so like yeah you know what he did it's that's a pretty effective way to show that scene for sure. Uh, but I just, I can't wait, Leo. I need to talk about this next episode. <laughs> okay. I, cause I absolutely love this next episode. Well, okay. So uh, episode it, the four thing is what you fault it for. I want to praise it for. <laughs> oh, you know, that's fine. I, I want to start off with like a little anecdote. So like episode four is called Samejima and, um, brains from the trash pandas watch anime podcast actually contacted me cause he knew I had like talked shit about this show in like the first two episodes. Right. And he was like, mm. you know what, be, uh, become, you should really watch the first minute and 30 seconds of episode four. And at, and at that point I hadn't even watched episode three yet. So I was like, Oh wait, are there spoilers minute or something? 30. <laughs> Look at my note. I my note is literally minute thirty in, and I love how fucked up this show is. <laughs> All right, let's break down this first minute and thirty seconds. So the scene opens up on a naked woman who is on like pa- like basically passed out on a bed. She's overdosed on drugs, and there's like some yakuza asshole, like this huge guy in the apartment, uh, who's basically the main character for this episode, and like. 
some he has some of his guys come and like take the girl away because she overdosed and then he's like he's like well i can't like satisfy myself with her so he goes to a sauna and he walks into a sauna and there's like one yakuza guy in there and like two random guys he tells the random guys just get out of here and he walks like straight up to the yakuza guy and then he's just like get on your knees and then you just see him like forcing this guy to give him a blowjob and then (laughs) telling him keep sucking until i come and that's where the credits start and i was like holy shit What the fuck is this show? Oh my god. That was like, that was ridiculously shocking to me to see an anime. Like, you don't see that shit. So, like, oh the man. thing is, you, where you, you put something, you're like, you don't feel like the show gives depth to its characters, but I think this show does an amazing job of immediately letting you understand who these people are. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I praised it from episode one and episode two and then especially this one like minute 30 in you're like this don't fuck with this guy he is insane <laughs> like they just sell it so well yeah yeah it's true and uh so it's interesting the, the after the credits like the show takes a huge tone twist of tone like turn and um we're introduced to this very sweet couple one is a girl named uh, fumino inoue uh, who's probably like in her 20s or something and she works at a bento shop and she's fallen in love with this office worker named Satoru who uh, asks her to marry him after dating for like a year and it's very romantic and all of this and you feel really good about it well, and also, then also oh, like I said how they sell your character so quick like this this girl is actually a little bit prettier than normal yeah and her husband is just like the most norm guy ever <laughs> plain guy yeah and it sells it on you in just that one scene. Yeah, because like she's talking to her bento shop fellow mm-hmm. worker, and she's like, "Does this guy make a lot of money or something?" Like she's like, "No, <laughs> like he's a normal salary man." It's she's like, like, "You could do so much better." Basically, <laughs> yeah. he shows up, and her face is just like priceless. She's just like, "Huh?" Uh, so yeah, yeah. The next day, though, this yakuza guy shows up at Inoue's shop. And his men on her way home, uh, like, just drive a van up next to her and, like, take her silently and take her back to the boss's place so they can sedate her and then he can rape her. Jesus Christ. She wakes up from her, like, stupor and, like, before, like, she gets raped, she's able to kick him and run away. uh, And she finds his, like, katana, which is just sitting around in the room. And she's, like, flailing it around and she's lucky enough to slash, like, one of his wrists opening up an artery. And she's uses that opportunity to escape uh, and, and takes like, a taxi he's back just home screwing around with her too yeah he's just like oh you have a lot of uh, spunk or something like he's just like very excited that she's fighting back because he's, he's like he's completely fearless yeah so she makes it back home to her fiance Satoru and like it tells him like god like this man took me they they didn't hurt me but they were really close to doing it and then they unfortunately they followed her drugs yeah <laughs> they followed her home and uh like sat like the yakuza finds her and satra says like i'll pay you whatever you want but they're not even interested in money they have all the money they need and he's only interested in raping inoue over and over until he shows her heaven is basically what he says jesus christ so 
<sighs> this Yakuza guy, who, by the way, he feels like he's like eight feet tall at some points in this episode. He yeah, like basically he picks up Satoru, right, and starts choking the life out of him with his like hands. And Ichiro arrives just in time when this is happening to save Satoru's life. He attacks Samajima and his men. Uh, but Samajima like grabs Ichiro and fires like eight shots from his gun, like point blank into Ichiro's head. And like none of the shots penetrate, but even so, like that like knocks him out for a while. Um, and he basically faints. And when he comes to Satoru, it looks like he's dead, but he tries to revive him. But his powers are only limited to healing living people. But he mm. still doesn't want to give up. So he starts just giving him like CPR, chest compressions, the last resort. And he actually does revive Satoru, who comes back. And I'm, I'm actually really gr- glad because I would have felt super bad for Samijima. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, she's uh, madly in love with this dude. Oh, you mean, oh, Inoue or whatever, Fumino. Samijima's the evil Yakuza guy. I was like, why would you feel bad for him? <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. It, her name's uh, Fumino Inoue. Oh, okay. Oops. Samijima's the evil Yakuza guy. Yeah, I, I would have felt really bad for her as well. Um, so then Ichiro goes to find uh, Samijima at a Yakuza meeting. And after a brief encounter, Samajima pushes him to his limit by like firing at him again. And he's okay, but then he has like eight of his guys just empty Uzis, like clips of Uzis into Ichiro. And this takes like everything he has to like resist. And it act- he actually automatically activates some sort of like self preservation routine because like his insides open up and then he floats into the air and he has his like eyes closed. And his back opens up and like unleashes these blue laser beams that like shoot in these arcs and they just shoot through the eye sockets of all of these high raking Yakuza members and blinding all of them, paralyzing them. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't kill any of them. And he like once it's done, he tells them all like, I want you to reflect on what you've done for the rest of your lives and think about all the people you've hurt. And like, hopefully by the time you die, you'll have come to peace with yourselves and what you've done. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. Um, and then Ichiro finds Inoue after all this. And she's like grieving because she thinks Satra is dead. Um, but tells her, no, I saved him. It's okay. And bring. And he tells her like, hey, jump on. Like he flies her back to him, which she's surprisingly okay with. And uh, yeah, they they meet up and they, they live happily ever after. <laughs> um so yeah like besides there this this was like you have to admit it's a very edgy episode like very dark episode um but besides all that like i think my main problem with the show right now is that like uh like ichiro is the good guy hero is the bad guy but there's not like a much very deep philosophy to their actions right now it's ichiro is basically like i need i want to help as many people as i can and that's like all he does. And Hero is just like, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want, even if I want to just kill people. And like everything they've come up against so far has been like an absolute evil. Like Hero himself is pretty evil. The Yakuza rapist guy is like absolute evil incarnate. Yep. I just want to see Ichiro presented with uh, like kind of a moral conundrum, like where he has to truly think about the limits of his powers and how he should use them. I'd like to see something like that in the future rather than just like, fighting absolute evil over and over again and just winning or or not winning i want to see something like that in the next couple episodes to be more interesting to me Hmm. maybe might happen yeah Uh, well i hope so yeah we can move on all right 
that to myself all week long. Such a good OP. And I, really I don't like know who it. sings it, but I really like her voice. I'll have to look that up. And like I, the I tone she up. sings it in. It's like a really laid back tone. She's like, I'm not I'm doing any justice. No, I, I can I can picture it in my mind, though. I know what you're. Yeah, it sounds. Yeah, I really like this OP a lot. It just sets the tone for the show every week, too, with all the MMO stuff. Mm-hmm. So episode three, you and I, the cowards of uh, this is a recovery of an MMO junkie, if you hadn't guessed already. Uh as you could have seen by the freeze framing at the end of episode two, it turns out that Moriko turned down Yuta's invitation to go out with him. Like he was trying to apologize to her for elbowing her in the face and putting her in the hospital, but uh, she didn't want to cause him any extra trouble and she's just super shy. So she turned him down. Uh, and so Yuta finds out from his friend, whose name is uh, Homare Koiwai, he always calls him Koiwai-san in the show, that um, he used to work at the same company as Moriko and Koiwai like would call her office sometimes to like talk to her boss, uh, but he wouldn't be there. So she'd he'd have conversations with her and he ended up giving her the nickname Mori Mori-chan based on her very similar first and last name, Moriko yep. Morioka. And so like Yuta's jealous that Homar is on like such friendly terms with her, but uh in the end, uh, Moriko is really relieved to like have handled the situation in a way that like she doesn't have to like deal with it anymore, like with Yuta and like have to like go out of her way to be like really shy and stuff. And she goes to the convenience store. She's all happy and she wants to buy more in-game currency. And the clerk notices her again. And it's it was clear to me at this point that this clerk was going to play a role in the show and probably in the game. Um, and she de- he definitely notices here like what MMO she plays when she pays for currency, but doesn't say much else. Uh, back in the game, Moriko meets up with the character who calls themselves Pokotaro, and she receives a gift from Lily, or Yuta, and Poco tells her, it's probably just Lily trying to cheer you on as a friend, but keep in mind that she might have some ulterior motives. <laughs> so then Moriko like, approaches Lily in the game, and she thinks to herself like at her desk, like, how should I broach this subject? And then she just asks, like, do you have any ulterior motive, ulterior motives in giving this gift to me? And Lily's like, "What ulterior motives?" <laughs> and then uh, Moriko is like a little bit disappointed when Lily doesn't like instantly say that like she had an ulterior ulterior motive. Yeah, I can't say that word. Uh, and so she's like, "Well, I can't say I didn't have none at all." Blah blah blah. And so we learn a, bit, a little about Lily's history in this game, which has been really shitty because as a cute girl in an MMO, as soon as she joined up, she was just like accosted by different players who wanted to like group with her all the time because she looks like a cute girl and so like maybe she's a cute girl in real life this happens in real mmos um and then it caused tensions because like when she joined a guild one of the other women in the guild got really jealous of lily like who was grouping up with like the guild leader and told her to stay away from him not knowing that in real life it's a guy you know uh so Lily decided to keep playing, though, because she met someone really precious to her in the game uh, that she used to play with all the time. And even though she doesn't get to see them anymore, is hoping that she'll meet someone like that again and kind of has in Hayashi or Moriko. And Moriko feels the same. Used to play with somebody that gave them a lot of courage. But in the end, uh, Lily solved her problem in the game by just like Kanbei told her like, Hey, if you would just be my partner in game, uh, I don't think people would bother you as much and I don't mind being your partner. So Lily took him up on that. 
So Lily was fine with that for a while, but now that she's spent a lot of time with Hayashi, uh, she wants to know if he'll I'm like saying this in quotes because like, you know, there he, he's a he he's a she and she's a he. It's confusing, but like yeah, he'll I be know. her partner. And uh, Moriko jumps out of her computer chair and onto her bed to like hug her big cat Dakimakura because she can't contain her happiness at Lily like wanting her to be the part her partner and like <laughs> saying that like I feel most at peace when I'm playing with you and stuff. It is uh, super cute. And then yeah, the last thing is just like Moriko tells herself to calm down because like hey, you're in your 30s and this is someone you only know online and it's also a girl and you're a girl. But she's like, but I'm still really happy. <laughs> uh, like, that's basically how the episode ends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about this episode. Just oh, no, it's just a pretty straightforward, cute episode. Yep. Okay. Episode four, Like a Maiden in Love. I'm still jamming to the intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, turns out, convenience store guy plays the same game. <laughs> It's yeah, of course. Nice so I, I figured it, it, he would, and I hadn't seen that episode. Like when I was watching, writing yeah. that review for the other one, I was like, "Yeah, no, that guy's gonna be part of the game." And it's always nice to connect, you know, with somebody through a game. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, man, my synopsis is super short. This episode. Yeah, it covers everything. I think. Yeah. So it seems there are some new loot boxes in the game, and everybody's excited for them. How topical. <laughs> I watched this episode and I was like, did they write this? Like, when did they write this episode? <laughs> I mean, it's based on a web manga, so probably not like very recently, but it's funny that it came out amongst all of the loot box controversy this year. So. Yeah, with EA and stuff specifically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Turns out Lilac has also apparently dropped a lot of money trying to get some of the items she is currently sporting in the game. So as a group, they all go together to buy some more loot boxes and Lilac is also kind of jealous that Hayashi and Lily are partners and she wants a partner also. We also get to see Lilac's like real life person. Very cute. <laughs> and she seems to have a thing for the their group leader. Uh, Kanbe, yeah. Yeah. Though she seemed to whole, almost have a thing for Hayashi at one point too because she's like, oh, I can see why Lily wanted to partner up with Hayashi. He seems like a really good guy. Yeah, a little bit. But, but definitely combat for sure. In typical loot crate fashion, uh, poor Moriko gets healing potions the entire time. I would, I, I wrote this, like, I would flip out if I bought a loot crate and got healing potions from it. Like, I would go ape shit. I would, like, sue the company. <laughs> yeah, that's, but that's then, like, bullshit. But Lily got, like, everything, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. She just kept buying everything. Her, so her RNG box is just, like, legit. <laughs> She is like what EA dreams of in a customer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Yuta is also trying to find out another way to meet Moriko again. So Homura goes to the convenience store and actually runs into Moriko. He doesn't recognize her at first, but then he does. He ends up getting her contact info and a promise to go out for drinks later that week. Yeah. Uh, and then he like holds it. I think this is the same episode where he holds it over uh, Yuta's head. Right. Uh, yes, definitely. Like at the okay. end, he's like, oh, look at what I have on my phone. And it's like, oh, yeah. it's Moriko's contact information. Yeah. <laughs> so in the last scene, Yuta starts to realize who the person he is talking to uh, into the game is because Moriko starts talking about her problems to him, about what happened to her. Yeah. And he just got done talking to his uh, buddy, Homura. And so he's just like 
oh my god (laughs) (laughs) he's like if i switch the genders around and i think about it this way wait a minute (laughs) it's exactly the same so he's basically figured it out and he he just kind of confirms it next episode for the most part but I also just there's one scene in the episode where uh, Moriko's at the convenience store and she's at the counter and like the counter guy tells her like, hey, the like electronic money machine is under maintenance for like the next five minutes. So you can't buy your like microtransaction like money yet. And she's like, well, do you mind if I wait? And he's like, oh, no, be, be my guest. And then she just stands in front of the counter with a blank face, not saying anything <laughs> for like five minutes. <laughs> She's just like a zombie. And I was like, yeah, this is about how I imagine people who buy like in-game currency all the time. This is what they would look like if they had to wait five minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, I was just laughing at that. She's she's such a funny character. I love her. Oh, yeah. She's and she's probably one of my favorite characters of this season. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's so good. She's so good. I love just like her in the game versus her like outside of the game, like at her desk as a gamer. And then like Mm -hmm. her out in the world is like the shy person. They're all great. Okay, Uh, let's do Kino's Journey, the beautiful world animated series. Very short synopsis. Uh, Episode three, Bothersome Country. Kino finds this is so weird. Kino, you can say himself. It's fine. It's fine. well, it, I think it's a she, actually. It is a she. Like, yeah, I saw I, like something canon, it's she. canonically, it's a she. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thing about this show is, like, episode three, I legit wrote two small paragraphs. But <laughs> then for, like, episode five, I wrote, like, all, over half a page. It just, yeah, like, some of the episodes are definitely more interesting than others. Yeah, there's, like, so much more going on. And then this one, I really felt like nothing was going on. Yeah. But... Kino finds herself in a country that's basically a giant tank, tank, and it's like crazy advanced. The walls are impenetrable, and it has a laser beam that can melt anything. The country is also constantly moving because the people within it want to see the the to, when they want they want to tour the world. Uh, but there is a couple drawbacks. They can't stop for too long because their power supply will overheat, and they and they also leave a path of destruction behind them as they roll over or through anything in their train. And then they just come across another military country that has built a wall and completely sealing off the valley. This doesn't stop the tank country at, at all as they just roll right through it. No matter how many missiles the country shoots at them, it doesn't hurt them. Uh, the point of the episode basically is which country is most at fault. The one who doesn't care if they harm another country or the other one that built a wall completely sealing off the valley and charging you know large prices for people to pass through with their wares and whatnot. And I think so, I kind of, in the end, agreed with Kino, who he didn't say it really like this, but like both sides were just assholes. <laughs> like, yeah. like both both countries were assholes. <laughs> like, there's no good country for this one. <laughs> no, they're both yeah, they're both assholes. Uh, but yeah, there really wasn't much that episode was there. Like, it was just like yeah, that's that was the gist of. It. I could talk about the classroom and the mural on the side, but why? Yeah, I mean, it's cool that Kino's probably going to get a mural of uh, her sniping people but like Mm -hmm. that i don't know that's basically all it was uh i will say i think episode four got a little bit better i loved episode five well i can't wait to watch that oh my god that was so good even though i i kind of kind of saw what was going on what was happening but i still thought it was really cool 
Ooh, I'm excited. I haven't watched yeah. that yet. I've been watching yeah. them as we uh, as we review. And so episode four was pretty interesting. It's called Ship Country, and it's because the country is literally a ship. But it's weird because this one starts off from the point of view of Shizu and his dog Rico, who were in there from the Coliseum arc. Um, so not from Kino's point of view, which is interesting. Um, they come across this ship country, and they're going to take it to sail across to another place. Um and like they meet up with like the rulers of the country who are these like people who dress in black wizard robes and they offer Shizu the choice of staying in their tower and overseeing this like unruly populace for the 15 day trip or if they if he wants he can live amongst the common people but he'll have to perform manual labor and so he says to like and he like surprises them I want to be with the common people because I'm a humble man um, so he goes down to them and like their like little leader tells him like, hey, this little girl named Tifana or T is going to be your uh, guide while you're here. And so she's like this really young girl and she never talks, uh, but she shows him around and shows him like what's going on. And he keeps asking, like, is there any work I can do? Like, is there anything I can help with? And she just keeps shaking her head. There's nothing for him to do, apparently. Uh, but that's all strange because Shizu, like, he hears that the the ship keeps like rumbling and like making bad noises that don't sound good. And he finds that there's some compartments in the ship that are completely flooded. And there's some that are just filled with wreckage. And he asks T if she can like draw on this map. He finds, uh, finds of the whole ship, like the schematic, like draw all the sections that are like flooded are, are like wrecked. And she draws like 134 or something, different sections that are all just completely unusable. And so he says, this can't like continue like the ship is going to sink if it stays unrepaired like this um and at this point in the episode i thought that shizu was going to go to the rulers and be like hey why aren't you having the common people like actually repair this ship like i thought that was going to be what happened but it kind of went completely different direction um like so he goes to the tower and he brings a, a rifle with him because he's Actually, no, he brings a sword with him because he's worried that this might actually get dangerous. And he comes up against one of these like black hooded leaders uh, who is very surprisingly very good with a gun uh, when he tries to like challenge them. And it turns out it's Kino. And this is because like they had said like a traveler joined like five days ago or something. And it turns out it was Kino and Kino had chosen to stay with the uh, the leaders of the country. Uh, but Shizu brings her up to speed on like what's going on and they both decide like oh we need to do something about this and the tower people like are like well we're gonna like change course and go further out to sea now and you can both just die with these common people it'll be a long time before we reach land so they decide like okay enough of this crap and they just start cutting through uh, those guys but like Kino's using rubber bullets so as not to kill them uh, but they get to the leader uh, they get to the bridge and like they ask like what are you going to do with this country like are you going to become its king if need like once we're gone and uh shizu's response is like if i need to become the king i will and the leader just says very well you'll be next and then the black like form of this thing like crumples onto the ground like it's like a wooden doll or something and they're like what the f hell happened there <laughs> and so they they all pull ashore and shizu tells like the common people like we fought these tower people we couldn't take their tyranny anymore and now you can all f live freely on the land and they're like no 
we don't want to do that. Like we want to live on our ship. It's our, it's the only country we've ever known. We love our country and we don't believe just because you say it, that it's going to sink any day soon. So we're just going to go back. And Shizu realizes he's failed and Tifana or T comes up to him and he's like, well, I guess you should just go back to your country too. Uh, And then she like goes up to him slowly and she pulls out this small knife. We had seen her looking at it when they were attacking the tower earlier and she stabs it into his stomach. Uh, all of a info sudden. dump. <laughs> yeah, and then the info dump, yeah. Like, uh, like uh, what's his name? Riku, the dog, and Kino are about to help him, and he says, stop, stop. And then uh, she tells him, like, I have no home to go back to. And that's all she says, and then we hear Hermes, who had talked to one of the black hooded people, the Tower Clan, uh, like, info dump everything. Like, basically... What happens is 600 years ago, there was a ship that was named Tifana, which is the name of the girl. And this ship drifted into an, a, this, the abandoned ship, uh, ship country. And when the ship found that country, the only children who were born, or sorry, only children were left alive because all of the adults had died to some plague that only kills adults or whatever. Uh and the AI, the artificial intelligence from the Tifana ship, transferred themselves over to the ship country because they realized somebody needs to take care of these children and like rule over them. And so they, the artificial intelligences, became the black hooded rulers uh, and like made the ship survive. And they thought about dropping them off somewhere, but like the kids had no idea. Like, even once they grew up to be adults, they knew nothing other than, like, living on this ship. So they always thought it was a bad idea. And they also knew that they couldn't protect them from other countries. So, like, the best way to keep them alive was just to keep them on this ship forever. Uh, and so Tifana is was not among those people who were originally the children on the ship. She was born on the ship to, like, a group, like, two passing travelers. And she's always been an outcast. And those those parents just abandoned her on the ship to get away. Uh, so, like, once Shizu hears all this. Oh, what'd you say? So, what a dick move. Yeah, that's a really shitty thing to do. And maybe, I don't know. This doesn't really go further into it. But maybe they had, like, wanted to escape with their lives or something. I don't know. But either way, it's shitty to abandon your child somewhere. Um yep. So obviously Tifana has abandonment issues and she sees Shizu leaving again and she's kind of formed like a like a little daughter like like father bond with him in the brief time that she's been with him uh, and she sees him like just abandoning her just like her parents abandoned her and that's why she stabbed him but once he realizes this he asks her like to come close and then like hugs her and says like you should come with me and like we can both support each other from now on um and she agrees and she hugs him however he's losing a lot of blood from the wound and he like falls to the ground and almost faints and she's like no i can't i can't lose someone again she takes out a grenade and pulls the pin because and hermes is like she's gonna kill herself with him um and kino takes her gun and shoots the grenade out of her hand before it can explode uh and so that was that's basically how it ends uh but then there's a brief coda after end credits and it just shows that shizu's patched up he he lives and everything's okay and he's gonna have tifana with him from now on which is kind of interesting but yeah uh still like even though this episode was definitely more involved than episode three it's like still like not a amazing episode like like you said i think uh a lot of it is just an info dump all at the end Mm -hmm. 
uh, it wasn't spread out quite as well as it could have been, I, I would think. And also, it just yeah. they never really wrapped up like why all these people apparently have no work to do when the ship could be repaired at any point. I guess maybe we're supposed to infer that they just don't have the skills to repair the ship because they were all born on a ship and don't know how to repair things. I think the AI would be able to direct them. Yeah, because the AI ran a ship. So like, yeah, that, that doesn't make sense to me anyway. Yeah, like there's there I mean, seems to be like it, a little disconnect there. If it was smart enough to make the decisions it made, I don't see why it wouldn't know how to repair the ship. I but agree. yeah, and just like with that info dump, it, I think it would have been better if they could have written it into the story if they needed to make it a two episode. Yeah, but that's it for that one. All right, let's move on to the next show. It gets a lot better after this. I'll just let you know. <laughs> oh, cool. Good. I'm yeah. glad. I liked uh, five and six both quite a bit. So let's move on to Girls Last Tour. Episode three, Encounter slash Journal slash Streetlights. You and she are on their search again for food when they come across a lit cigarette and realize that somebody else is there. You loads your gun when suddenly there's an explosion and one of the skyscrapers comes down next to them. Through the dust comes a man named Kanazawa. He brought down the building to make a bridge across the expanse that they had themselves have been trying to find a way across. Uh, you and she want to get to the tower on the other side and see if it can take them to a higher level. Kanazawa just wants to, a ride to the tower and will go on his way from there. So he joins up with them. On the way to the tower, they come across a refueling station and collect fuel for their uh, tank bike thing. Uh, then they have this funny little joke where like in an earlier episode, you was burning cheese books and yeah. Kanazawa has this has been making these maps and you wanted to see it, but she warns him about it. <laughs> and it's just a really good joke how they play it out. Yeah. And you's like, don't worry, I won't burn it this time. <laughs> <Something> <laughs> she makes the funniest face. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, they make it to the tower and they find an old lift to take them to the top. Uh, Chi is super afraid of heights and when they're partially up top like the lift tilts part way and they stop and Kanazawa's map he has been working on starts to like slowly slide off the edge. He goes for it doesn't make it in time and his map ends up getting spread everywhere but you, it takes you and Chi both to grab him and save him from plunging to him, his death himself. Uh, they do end up making it to the top as the night starts to fall and when it becomes dark enough all the street lights start to turn on and it just amazes them all. Uh, in the end, Kanazawa gives the girls his camera and goes his separate way. The girls set out for the brightest place out in the distance. It's this giant building. It's super bright. Uh, that's about the end of that episode. But man, this this show, I love the OPs and the EDs. Uh, and also, I just I don't know what it is about this show, but it, it I just find it relaxing and entertaining, even with its like slow pace. I feel like I should hate its slow pace, but I I, I just I enjoy this show so much. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, I definitely thought this was like for me the best episode so far because we learned so oh, yeah? much more about like the world, like and how it has like these ancient cities that like Kanazawa says, like they weren't even built by our ancestors. Like I think our ancestors just populated these cities that were built by an even older civilization or something. Um, and then like, at least like it is really good at making you feel uneasy. Cause like they don't know whether they can trust Kanazawa at first and mm-hmm. they get to this refueling station and like over the course of a few scenes, like Yuri has gotten like more at ease with like just leaving her rifle between the two of them in the back of the truck. But they're refueling the like the barrel of like, uh, you know, gas and like they just leave the rifle in the truck next to Kanazawa. And I'm like, 
this is if he's playing a long game, this is like a perfect opportunity for him to turn on them. Yeah, but and also like, one of the selling yeah. points was you're like, I led you guys to this refueling station. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think he. Br- I think I actually want to say I think he brings that up later. Like they questioned yeah. something, and he's like, "Well, you know, you never would have found that refueling station without me and my maps." So yeah, they're they're questioning whether the maps are are legit, and because like they're trying to get to that huge tower, and he's like, "Now we have to take this really long roundabout uh, route." So like, yeah, they do this really good thing of low key holding this tension throughout the episode, and that's why I think it doesn't get boring because you're like, at any time this switch could flip. Yep. Uh, but it doesn't. And he, he ends up being a, a pretty good guy, even if he is very obsessed with his uh, life, wife, life's work, which is the maps and almost kills himself over him. And then losing him ultimately, ultimately in the end. So, mm-hmm. OK, let's do episode four photograph slash temple. The girls are still continuing towards the glowing building. You starts to play around with the camera they got last episode and takes a bunch of pictures of the stone statues all around the city. Uh, the city is just populated by these statues that look like tall versions of the pac-man bad guys am i right <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> that's what they look like they're kind of ghosty and stuff and they're they all look to their right yeah they're all is, like which is interesting mm, they're all like side-eyeing you <laughs> it's really yeah. good uh you keeps making chi turn around while she's driving to take pictures of her this eventually causes them to crash into one of the statues and it's just super funny when it happens because like <laughs> She just ends up ber- berating you for that. She's like, this is exactly why I told you not to do that. <laughs> it's also funny because like it's totally exaggerated because this huge pillar falls on both of their heads, but they're both wearing helmets, so they're okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like a huge like marble pillar falls on their heads and they're You're like, no, nah, that just would have crushed your neck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they end up finishing off that day with Chi figuring out how to use the delay on the camera so they can take a picture together. It's kind of cute and sweet. Yeah. They do end up getting to this bright building and they go inside and they find it dark. <clears throat> and there's also a lot more of these statues here. It turns out they believe this building is a temple and the people worship the stone statues. Uh, there's a, a neat little scene where like the lantern goes out and then she uses the opportunity to mess with you in the dark. Like she doesn't respond at first. Do you have some thoughts on this? She's such an asshole. <laughs> like <laughs> if my friend did this to me, I would fucking kill. I would just, oh, I would like wail on them when they like tried to surprise you, you me. You had it coming though. She did point <sighs> her gun at her. That's true. Yeah. Maybe this is like a little bit of a revenge. This is a little bit that. of a payback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's really funny because she doesn't say anything and she's like wandering around in the dark. But suddenly when it becomes night out, all the lights came on again. And they kind of walk around and what they do is they find themselves in a room, which is basically, it's just one large fake lily pond. Like even the water is just like a clear plastic. Hmm. It's just just a really strange temple. But that's about the end of the episode. Do you want to talk about the, how it has 52,000 photos? Yeah, there was like a weird moment there where so they have that digital camera from Kanazawa. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I was thinking like, huh, I wonder if they're going to look back through the camera, the pictures that he took on the camera or maybe he took like a memory card with him or something. But I was wondering if they would find out more about him by looking back through the old photos that he took before. Good. uh, But yeah, apparently they figure out they have like it says on the display of the camera, we have like 520,000, like 14 or something photos left. But in the dialogue, uh, she says we have 52,000. And I couldn't tell, like, is this an intentional mistake? Like to tell us that like, she doesn't even know numbers that go that high. Or is it like, 
an actual mistake in the animation where they they should have animated or drawn five fifty two thousand and they drew five hundred twenty thousand. I don't know. It's kind of weird, but uh, <laughs> there's some good lines in this episode. Like one is when they get to the temple, and Yuri is asking she like. What's a god? And she's like, well, it's kind of like a thing. And she's like, can you eat it? And she's like, I don't think so. <laughs> Yu's thing is being obsessed with food. Yeah, That's definitely. Yu loves food. Um, yep. And like, I also liked uh, in that scene at the end of the episode, they're they're sitting and eating at the lily pads. And Yu just says something like, it's kind of weird eating when you're looking at the afterlife. <laughs> Or eating rations when you're looking at the afterlife. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of weird. Yep. So, yeah. Really, if anything, the, the, the show is more like a philosophical point of view and stuff like that. But Definitely. It's kind of abstract. But uh, <laughs> I like that it's slowly peeling back little layers of what's going on in this world. Or what came before them, at least. Um, uh, Saturdays? So what we got? The Ancient Magus's Bride. Uh, so episode three. Uh, I also I talked about episode three a little bit already in our um, like introduction introduction to the season episode, our our last podcast. Um, so I won't like recover it too much, but yeah, it's that episode where you know Chise is like captured by the dragons or whatever, and um, but she like you know what's his name Elias like quickly follows after her and is like oh no this guy's my friend don't worry about it he's just a mage but so she spends most of the episode talking to like these little young dragons and then this older or elder dragon uh, called an wheel who is in the process of dying and um, he basically shows Chise like what it means to live and tells her like uh, she must fly underneath the skies like he has, living her life to the fullest in order to have no regrets upon dying. Um, but yeah, that like the crux of the episode is that like he, the elder, like dies and he turns into this beautiful tree, and he but he accepts his death fully and like he's imparting that philosophy onto Chize who hasn't really cherished her life up to this point in the anime. Yeah, or in he, the anime. he explains dragons don't fear death like humans do. Yeah. And it was just a really gorgeous, like, artistic episode, and, like, the music was gorgeous. Like, just, I think that episode three, like, really showed me, like, what this show could be when it's at its best. So, that had me really hyped uh, going forward. Uh, But I think you have episode four. Yep, I have episode four, Everything Must Have a Beginning. The episode begins with Chisei having an ominous dream about a lady asking a cat for one of its nine lives. She wakes up and her and Elias go to the cat kingdom to meet with the king of the cats. Uh, <laughs> the king needs help with a matter. Turns out a very long time ago, a man lived in the village who enjoyed killing the cats. Bastard. Yeah. Eventually the cats banded together and killed this man. Good. But he, <laughs> yeah, but he left behind his malice and every generation, the cats have to pay a couple of their lives to keep it at bay because they yeah. all have nine lives. That's a cool, I just love that. That's such like a Japanese idea. Like, mm-hmm. just like, uh, I just love like spirits grow out of this like evil event in the past and they need to be held at bay. That's like a Studio Ghibli. That's like Princess Mononoke like, right there. It's just, I love that idea. <laughs> oh, for sure. So this, I, I keep calling it Malice, Blob of Malice is on this island in a the lake. They, they're out there looking at it when a woman suddenly grabs Chise and teleports above the lake and drops her in it. We then get a flashback with a man taking care of his very sick wife. Uh, quickly back in the present, 
the ghost of the woman asks Chise, as she's sinking in the lake, to stop the mouse that is her husband. Elias saves Chise from the lake and says he would like her to cleanse the malice rather than whatever else they were going to do with it. So Chise gets all dressed up and walks across the water to the little island. And when she gets to the island, the woman shows up again and puts a knife to her throat. Also, another man shows up named Renfred. It seems that he has a use for this malice and doesn't want Chise to purify it. Renfred reveals to Chise that Elias hasn't told her everything and that a death soon awaits a sleigh beggy, which is what Chise is. And yeah, I'm just to that episode. I'm not surprised that Elias has kept some information from Chise. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I'd just like to say, like, if you, I was like in the middle of this episode and I kind of squinted for a little bit and I was like, am I watching Homeward Bound? Because I'm just like watching all these cats talk to each other. And I was like <laughs> transported back to my childhood of like watching like Milo and Otis and like Homeward Bound. And like, <laughs> it was just really funny. Like, I couldn't get over like the, the king cat. Uh, than her two like different colored eyes and stuff you know uh infamously Milo notice was filmed in japan yeah and apparently the animals weren't treated so well yeah it's kind <laughs> of a it's kind of a problem i guess yeah but uh ready to move on uh oh yeah the only thing else I'll, I'll say i hate bringing this up but like cheese at the end of this episode again is like a damsel in distress for like at least like three out of the first four episodes at some point she's been like a damsel in distress and just like i want her to just like tap into her own powers pretty soon like i want to i want to see her realize like her power because uh, it was really cool when she was walking up to uh like the big malice the black thing and like yep. she had her robe and she like looked like she was very powerful and i was like okay i, I can't wait until she like unleashes that power so uh no spoiler but just keep your hopes on the low side yeah i'm sure it's like a slow moving show so we'll see mm-hmm. All uh, right. so yeah you got the next one blood blockade battlefront and beyond uh, it's turned out to be really good. They're giving Chain a lot of uh, screen time, and she's awesome. Cool. Uh, yeah, I do like her as a character. Yeah. Did you ever get to watch the first season? I'm like almost done with it, and then I'm going to catch up on everything uh, mm. and then over the next week or so. Okay. okay. <clears throat> so episode three, day in, day out. We open with... I'm going to try to pronounce this. <laughs> we open with Count... Giga Giga Gigfoo Massive <laughs> walking through the streets. He's also reportedly the largest creature in the city. Uh, Leonardo bumps into some guys and they take him to a back alley to pummel him. And like he sees Chang going flying by and he's happy until she looks at him and then just ignores him and moves on. And he gets beat up and his wallet taken from him. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Stephen also seems to be having a house party that night and received uh, some calls from friends who are going to be bringing some stuff. Zap wakes up with a blonde hooker when another lady comes charging into the room yelling about her missing cat. The blonde hooker says it's probably already been eaten and is turning into doo-doo inside some monster's belly. This pisses off... (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) This pisses off the other lady who chants a spell that removes the other woman's breasts and presumably kills her. (laughs) What? Man, this is awesome. Dude, this show, they just... It's uber violent, this show. There's just violence everywhere. Yeah, uh, she then puts a the spell on Zap's dick and says she will remove it until he finds her cat. It's <laughs> a good motivation. Let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, so believe me, he's panicked and he's really trying to find this cat. Uh, 
So Leonardo gets a stun baton and goes to confront the thugs who took his wallet earlier. Well, the thugs kick his ass and throw him out of the bar anyways. When the thugs come back in, they see Chain at the bar and immediately the leader guy tries to hit on her. She plays along and challenges him to a drinking contest saying he can do anything he wants to her if he wins. I mean, she says that, whatever. (laughs) Of course, he's all for it, but is surprised when the whole bar starts throwing down bets on the two. Quickly into the drinking, he realizes he probably he's probably being hustled. (laughs) (laughs) But back at Steven's house party, everything is going great. Everybody's drinking and eating and having a good time. And then one of the guests is like out of beer and Stephen goes to get more. When he turns his back, everybody's right arm turns into guns. They say they want to take him alive, but we'll fill him with holes if he makes a move. The thing is, Stephen was already on to them. Uh, earlier on, the lady made a slip up in their conversation when they first arrived. So Stephen had already turned some of his blood into tiny needles and embedded itself in everybody's skin. He then causes it to freeze everybody, calling it Esmeralda blood freeze. He commends them for purchasing biological guns so they could get past the department's security, but Stephen had noticed Larry's center of mass had been leaning to the left for the past 10 days, and he also noticed that Ellen had a distinct sweet-smelling grease specific to biological weapons on her. He then has his personal squad, quote, dispose of everybody. (laughs) Back at the bar, Chain is still kicking the guy's ass in the game. She then steals both the thug's wallets and disappears once she's won. The thugs have to pay but have no money. So the barkeeper says then he will have to take the payment from their bodies. They basically end up heads in jars. (laughs) (laughs) Futurama style. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Zap runs into Leonardo and begs him to use his godly eyes to find a cat. Apparently the girl who has cursed his freedom magnum (laughs) is what he called it is named Tracy. (laughs) Freedom magnum. That's pretty good. (laughs) To wrap things up, it seems, Steven's uh, maid had actually found the cat. And Zap and Leonardo then go riding away. And we see Leonardo's wallet in the hoodie, in the hood of his hoodie. So apparently she's dropped that off. And also, I just want to note the ED feels very space dandy. (laughs) Did you watch any of that? Yeah, I've seen it. It It's pretty good. Okay. And then just after the ED, there's a really short clip of Chain over the toilet puking your guts up (laughs) (laughs) good stuff yeah you yeah that's right you hadn't seen that yet so i'm sure that was kind of surprising that was that was a hell of an episode i can't wait to watch that (laughs) (laughs) it's super action-packed so it's episode four werewolf mission called chain possible (laughs) mission chain possible yeah so it seems there's a werewolf hit squad and they attack uh, some general in the beginning. They have an ability that allows them to dilute themselves from reality and basically become invisible and pass through objects. It's also an all-female group. Cha-ching. Yep, and Chain is in the squad. And it's funny that even though they cornered the general and fired 94 rounds, they never even hit him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we follow Chain a little bit after this, and she talks to one of the other girls about their tokens. Uh, you actually kind of get like a short introduction to all of them. They're all, you know, hot in their own way. So uh, she then listens to Leonardo have a conversation with Burger Boy, which is from season one. Uh, she then gets a call from Steven telling her she can go home for the day. She goes back to her apartment, which is just fucking trashed. She has clothes lying everywhere, along with just bags and bags of garbage and unaccountable amount of Blur Moon bottles <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Blur Moon? <laughs> yes. This place is oh is disgusting how they oh 
<laughs> so bad. So that general from earlier gets a call from some lady about how to kill the werewolves. The general then lays a trap, forcing the uh, werewolf squad to infiltrate his compound and simultaneously shut down four computers at once. Klein shows up at Central Command with a picture of the woman the general was talking to. This person is called Velved, excuse me, Velved Reingeimer and used to be part of the werewolf bureau. She has us out for the werewolves, apparently. Uh, she made a deal with a being called the King of Hypersensitivity, Zeodra. <laughs> He's one of the 13 kings and has the ability to detect all light and sound, thus being a problem for Werewolf Squad. squad. Uh, so they go to infiltrate this uh, facility, that launches a missile off, and they're trying to shut down these computers. Well, Velvet attacks Werewolf Squad and gets them all pinned down except for Chain. It seems Velvet is still not powerful enough to catch Chain, so... It's a really long sequence battle. Uh, basically, it's just Chain constantly deluding herself to such an extent that, like, the uh, uh, Velvet can't even find her anymore at this point. Chain ends up killing Velvet, and it releases the rest of the squad to shut the computer and stopping the missile. But Chain deludes herself so much she can't make it back, and they have to enact a plan if this happens. Uh, they go to, like, a little safe. They grab something out. And Steven goes to her apartment. And, like, when they get there, he's like, what am I here for? And he just has his card. And he has to walk in and say something. And he walks in. And he's like, hello. And then this apparently pulls her back to reality instantly. And she's just, like, standing there. And she just throws the chair at him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's uh, You can't get too caught up in, like, the logistics or physics or why things work in the show. If you do, you're just going to kill yourself. <laughs> you just have to enjoy the ride. Nice, but it was uh, it was it, it. I am enjoying it as much as season one. It's just you know you just you're there for the ride, and it's just awesome, insane stuff happening. You're there for the action. The story's there. You know who your characters are and stuff, and like Chain's always kicking the shit out of Zap and stuff. And that's it. She does it every episode. It doesn't get old. I giggle every time. Every time Zap shows up to the office or she shows up, she has to have some excuse to knee him in the face. And every time I'm just like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, but that's all I got for that. Can't wait for you to catch up. Be calm. I will buy the next podcast we do. I'm very close. Uh, but we can move on to Land of Lustrious, episode three, Metamorphose. Metamorphose, yep. But you have a quick note you want to... Yeah, uh, so before we discuss episode three, I just wanted to thank a commenter who commented on our last last, uh, podcast, uh, Yovana Popa on YouTube, who cleared up my confusion about like the cleavage comment for episode two, where like the doc was talking about like, oh, I need to check Jade's cleavage. And I thought it was like, you know, just like a, a shitty line, but like... Uh, they told me like, oh no, this could be referring to gemstone cleavage, which like gemstone cleavage is the idea of like, or it's a characteristic of crystals. Um, that is like the, like cleavage is like the tendency of a crystal to break cleanly along distinct planes. So this was more of a double entendre instead of just like a shitty, like a line out of place, which makes it like way better in my opinion. So I was really happy that, uh, they cleared that up. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. And I'm checking notifications. I didn't know we've had quite a few comments. I want to read those. Yeah. You can go back through them. Yeah. Yep. We got some good comments. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Finally, people talking to us. 
<laughs> yeah, I, we always we really appreciate when you guys comment, you, even if it's like we even, hated yeah. this episode. <laughs> I love comments even like that too. If you hated too. something, we want to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, the battle continues, and Dia starts to diamond. They call her Dia in the show. So she knows some green showing in the cracks of the snail. They start to attack these spots and eventually knock it into the water. Well, this is salt water, and we know what happens when you mix snails with salt. <laughs> or slugs. They shrivel up. Except this one just shrinks into a cute version, the kawaii version. Emphasis on cute. <laughs> this thing is so cute. Uh, the girl who knew you can make a slug slash snail cute. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess they get they made slimes cute, so nothing's impossible. Yeah, nothing's for impossible for Japan. <laughs> uh, the girls search the shell of the snail and can't find any trace of Fos. I think Fos might be in the small, cute snail and take it to Rutile, Rutile, or whoever to see mm. if she can do anything. Uh, Diamond gets her arm fixed, and before Rutile can cut into the creature. Dia run, Diamond runs off with it. Diamond believes at this point the creature is false, Fos somehow. This makes for some comedy as uh, Diamond goes around asking all the girls for some idea to get Fos back to normal. Uh, through the whole thing, uh, Diamond finds out that nobody really cares for Fos and that much, that much, and she really had nothing to contribute to their society. So, like, why? <laughs> uh, it, it is, there's some pretty good comedy bits. Uh, Cinnabar goes out on her nightly security sweep and comes across a light, believing it to be Lunarians. When she gets to the light, she finds Diamond asleep in the grass. Fos is momentarily missing, but is found quickly. Uh, it's the slug's snail. Yeah. Uh, Cinnabar is confused until Diamond explains to her what happened. Uh, Cinnabar then explains that snails eat rocks and breaks them down to strengthen their shells. Dia then realizes that they need to carve out the mint green fragments from the snail shell to save Fos. And there's also a lot of Cinnabar wanting to hate Fos, but, you know, but she's deeply moved by her after their last encounter. Diamond makes it back and hands off the snail to Bort before getting everybody together and pulling up the snail shell. They excavate all the pieces and give them the rutile to put back together. Fos then wakes up and immediately goes after the snail because she's pissed at it for eating her. <laughs> after a little of this, Fos starts to have a conversation with the snail and then Fos is, Fos is surprised when nobody else can understand the snail. <laughs> yeah, this was... That was such a oh man! I love that freaking snail so much. It was making like the cutest like motions, and I was like, oh, this snail can't get any better. And then the and next episode happened. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, episode four is called a uh, soul, flesh, and bone, and so folks can now, unfortunately for her, communicate with this snail, and she's the only one who can. Uh, the snail creature's name is uh, Ventricosis. Uh, and its people, she has a people, were hunted by the Lunarians for their shells, kind of like how the gems are hunted for their, like, gems. Um, everyone thinks Foss is crazy, since she's the only one who can talk to Ventricosis, so she's kind of pissed. But this snail is apparently pretty horny as well, and she's like, I'm really into all these cuties around here. <laughs> and she's like, I especially like the stuck-up types, like Cinnabar and Bort. Um, but the one that she actually really falls for is the Sensei, uh, but... Fos realizes she's been saved for a second time by Cinnabar, who figured out that she was trapped inside the shell, and so she feels like she owes her more than ever. Uh, and so Fos uh, and Ventricosis go to the sensei and report back, and she's told to just keep the snail with her as part of her encyclopedia duties, uh, and she tries to ask him if 
it's just anything they can do for Cinnabar. Like, can she do anything besides the Night Watch? And he's like, even I don't really have an answer for this. Um, just as an aside, throughout this episode, I'm kind of starting to get annoyed with how often the Sensei just head pats everybody. It's just constant head pats, and it just like I whenever I see a I'm head pat in it. anime, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Whenever I see a head pat in anime, I think like harem because like it it almost always happens in like harem or like pseudo harem anime where there's like one guy who's just head patting a lot of different girls all the time and it's just like hmm i don't know about this but other than that it's pretty like it's not a problem or anything but um so she he tells her though tells folks like just finish your survey of the hills don't lose focus on like cinnabar or like ventricosis just finish what you're doing and so she goes back but ventricosis is like you know I have like I remember seeing somebody who looked a lot like you gems like underwater. Uh, you should come with me back to my home. Like just forget what he said. Like we should go and try and find that person. Um, and so she can't like really resist that. Uh, and once they get underwater, Ventricosis transforms into a very lewd like jellyfish type <laughs> thing, like with a body that has like built in like frilly skirt. To, to hide all of her like tentacles and then mm -hmm. uh, like a seashell bra and like <laughs> I think Fos is like you're very jiggly because like when she it's true like when she moves around her breasts keep like jiggling they and even have a whole conversation about her boobs yeah she's like what are like uh, Fos is like what are even those I don't even have those things she's like oh these she like, lifts up her breast she's like oh these are my most precious parts <laughs> <laughs> so most importantly, Ventricosis says that humans came before their kind. Uh, and like the old stories of her kind say that like after some kind of catastrophic event, like the earth waned for like the sixth time in its history and humans were split into three different species and when they evolved to survive. So this is where the soul, the flesh, and the bone title for this episode comes from. Because Ventricosis's people, it's said, uh, their names are the Admirabilis, or Admirabilis, I don't know. They supposedly came from the flesh part of the humanity. And so they live and they die and they reproduce like humans do. Um, and it said that there were other people who descended from the bones and they gained longer lifespans and they lived above the water. And, you know, Fos's ears kind of perk up at that because she's like, that sounds a lot like us. That sounds like the gems. Maybe we're descended from the bones. And then if there's only one other thing left and the soul apparently found at new lands and now seeks out the flesh and the bones to try and bring about a revival of humanity. And of course, they both think, well, that only fits with the Lunarians, but like, why are they trying to bring us back into the fold? I don't know. Um, but like, you know, what's her name? Ventricosis says like, yeah, but you look at the Lunarians and how uh, greedy they are and how quick they are to fight and have conflict. And it makes you think about what humanity was before it evolved into these three different forms. And in the end, Fos is like, well, we should probably work together at least like us uh, flesh and uh, bones because like we get along and you know Ventricosa is like yeah that sounds good okay <laughs> but then they arrive at their destination and Ventricosa tells her like by the way I also have somebody I care for just like you care for Cinnabar and at that moment uh, Lunarians out of nowhere open fire on Foss under the water and like they hit her they like break part of her leg off and a couple other pieces and 
Ventricosis like tells the Lunarians, I offer you like my companion here in exchange for my brother, Aculeatus. And so she's just giving up Foss. This was all like a ruse. She's giving Foss to the Lunarians to try and get her brother back. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, my only question is, how did she communicate with them? With the Lunarians? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Uh, I didn't think about that. Like, because have we, have we, no, we haven't seen the Lunarians can communicate with the gems ever before, at least. No. And the snail has been in somebody's uh, vicinity, vi- vicinity the entire time, correct? Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, okay. But like it. the Lunarians originally brought her to attack. Yeah. So maybe so the, before yeah, she came here, she figured out. I could think out. of would be what would change that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I just liked... Uh, this was a good way to do an exposition dump because it feels like it's coming from a friend, but it's actually coming from an enemy. And I liked that. Um, but uh, yeah, I wonder how Fos is going to get out of this one. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen the next episode either. I haven't uh, either. I just continue to love Fos's body language. Like, <laughs> she just like... There's various times in this episode where she just like is on her knees and then puts her face against the ground and has her butt sticking up in the air and she's just like completely defeated. <laughs> it's just it's really funny. Uh, yeah, this show looks so good and that goes with what you're saying right now. Like, these animators really uh, did some research into, you know, how people move and react or they're just experienced with doing this. But... yeah. Uh, as CGI shows go, this is the best CGI show I've seen yet. Yeah, it just really looks very natural almost all the time. Really looks fantastic. Yep. Uh, before I do the outro, I want to ask you about what you think about our top six consensus picks. Do you think we should change them up? And I'll just quickly list them. Number one was Kino's Journey. Two, Land of the Lustrious. Three, Junie Tizen. Four, Ancient Magus Bride. Five, Recovery of an MMO Junkie. And number six, Inuyashiki, The Last Hero. I really... change any yeah. of that up? Um, thinking about what else is on, like, I still haven't gotten too far ahead in, like, shows that we didn't pick, but, like, I'm definitely very confident at le- in at least five of those six, with Inuyashiki being the only one where I'm like, hmm. But, like... Really? But Inuyashiki is so freaking interesting that it's like, why would we not talk about this show? Would you change any other positions? Like, I would definitely move Recovery of MMO Junkie from five to three easily, and I could argue definitely two or one yeah i would move kinos down a little bit just after these yep. fat last two episodes because they were too straightforward for kino for me like uh, after watching the original i would maybe even move now nah, juni tyson is kind of good where it is ancient magus bride would probably go up to two land of the lustrous would be one and then i think recovery of mmo would be like three or four with juni tyson for me and then Kino's at like five uh, for now. And then Inuyashiki at six. But I'm hoping that Kino will move up because you said it gets good the next couple episodes. So Oh, yeah. Kino gets uh, specifically the next one. And then the one after that I thought was still good. But oh, yeah. uh, is there anything else you want to talk about or add before we end? Uh, no, that's it. All right, um, everybody. Uh, thank you for listening. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe on, to us on YouTube to get updates on new podcasts or videos. And follow us on Twitter at Nerdum and Other for updates as well. I'll see everybody uh, hopefully next week. And don't worry, we removed all of the microtransactions from the podcast. Mm-hmm.
And also Bcom said he would get this uh, put up on YouTube tonight. So let's see if we hold him to that or not. <laughs> Damn it, Leo. All right. Peace. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>